Hey guys, I just want to tell you a little bit about our Podcasts app which is now live on the App Store. It's the world's first audio-driven app for experiencing medicine. Every week you can step into the shoes of doctors with an engaging case and quiz. Download now and have a look for yourself. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have another amazing guest. Today we have with us Dr. Nadine, a consultant plastic surgeon and the head of clinical innovation at Guys and St. Thomas's. She's also the CEO of Proximy, an augmented reality platform for virtual surgical collaboration. And since its inception, it has had profound impact, particularly during COVID, allowing surgeons across the world to collaborate in real time. And not only that, Dr. Nadine received the British Empire Medal in 2018 for her amazing work and innovation surgery. It's a massive, massive pleasure to introduce you to the show. Thank you, Dr. Nadine, for Welcome coming on. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nadine. Thank you so much for having me. It's great, and congratulations on the success of your show. Oh, thank, thank you, you so ever much. so much. There is so much to talk about. You have achieved so many things, um, but as is the traditional scrubbed in, you know, a lot of our listeners like to hear from the very beginning. So before we touch on Proximy and the work you're doing now, um, if you don't mind, briefly tell us um, your journey into medicine and becoming a, a plastic surgeon. Sure. I mean, it's uh, it's always good to reflect back and think about where things started. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I grew up in different parts of the world. Uh, I was raised initially in California, then I moved to the Middle East um, and probably moved there at a time where there was a lot of conflict and a lot of um, challenges. And it, you see things, perhaps trauma, injuries um, mm. that perhaps teenagers uh, shouldn't really have to see and having spent that time in my teens in, in uh, Lebanon I was quite influenced uh, by what I saw it was mm. uh, it was hard to see patients suffering with um, trauma burns injuries and others and at the very early age I think I was about 14 I decided that I wanted to get into reconstructive plastic surgery because I really wanted to think about how I could improve patients quality of life and try and restore mm-hmm form and function and that's the great thing about plastic surgery it's such an innovative specialty in and of itself and you can always look at ways to improve patients quality their function their form and how that influences them and their behavior and their mental well-being as well and um, Mm. so that started me on that journey and I um, started undergrad in the US and I moved to London um, where, where I came with my husband and I joined medical school here I started off at UCL um, where I did a BSc in biochemistry and molecular biology, and then I went to BARTS, and we were on the first cohort of the graduate entry program there. And it's mm-hmm. been brilliant working in the NHS with so many fantastic people, so many driven people, and people that work for a purpose and the purpose of delivering mm-hmm. health to our population. But beyond mm-hmm. that, I guess I, having seen and been influenced by some of those um, difficult um, challenges as a teenager, I always felt I wanted to give back in some shape or form. And so I got involved a lot mm. in global health and for about 10 years was traveling and working with some fantastic charities um, oh, parts wow. of Vietnam and, and South America and other places. And, you know, as, as you start to evolve, you know, different opportunities come your way. And, and I, th- I think, you know, five years ago, I started, well, more now, it's 10 years ago, I started to get quite involved also with the medical device industry and started to mm. look at how do you bring new products or new techniques to clinical care in a safe and scalable way. And ultimately, mm. at some point, I sat down and realized that 
everything I'd been trying to do, whether it was work here and learning and getting educated by the best surgeons in the country, whether it was trying to access surgeons overseas, or the work I was doing in global health or with the device industry all had similar limitations. Everything was mm. predicated on physical co-presence, unless you could be in that operating room with those people at the same time, could that knowledge transfer mm -hmm. happen? But also I think the other challenge was looking at how do we ensure a reduction in variation, uh, improving access to quality and access to, um, to care that is needed. And so at that point decided mm -hmm. that um, I needed to do something about it. Uh, it. It was something that was needed, it was urgent and it was important. And so started to look to technology mm -hmm. to see if um, that could help and eventually came up with the idea of Proximy now several years ago. At what stage of your career were you, Dr. Nadine, when you kind of realized that we needed something like Proximy? Was it once you were a consultant or was it with your registrar training? Um, just so we have an understanding. Yeah, so I was a registrar actually. It was, a, it was 20, I came up with the idea in 2013, 2014. I was a relatively newly appointed registrar. I think I was only in my first, yeah, I was only in my first year. And um, I had taken some time out for maternity leave um, around that time and started to think about using that time to, to do something impactful and then worked with engineers and teams around the world to try and work to, to deliver this. Definitely. And for our listeners, um, Proxima is a super cool name. Um, how would you describe what Proxima is for medical students, junior doctors that are hearing about it for the first time today um, on the recording? Yeah, so Proximy is a software, it's a cloud-based software that allows doctors, clinicians, nurses, or any healthcare workers to virtually transport themselves into any operating room anywhere in the world. And by using our mm. platform, be able to visually and practically collaborate using our augmented reality and AI tools to make that engagement multisensory, immersive, but value added as well. So that by being able to dial into an operating room, you can really understand the operation if you're a learner. You can bring mm. anatomical images and structures into that. But if you are an, a, an educator or a proctor, be able to virtually scrub in. And one of the key wow. things for mm. me was that I wanted to deliver this in a way that was accessible. And the way that was accessible was to leverage hardware that people already have. Phones, tablets, mm -hmm. computers. So I think, you know, it was really key for me that this was hardware agnostic or hardware neutral. Um, so if we take it just one tiny step back, so you identified the problem and then you had this concept and idea that you came up with, Proximy. Tell us a little bit about the journey of how you went about bringing it to life. Well, you know, I, I have to say, being a clinical as well, we're always taught to do things evidence-based. So I wasn't really looking to set up a company at the start. It was really just... Mm something I wanted to do and wanted to see how far mm -hmm. I could go with it, if it was going to be valuable. And so I just mm -hmm. set up a, a prototype, an MVP of the product, um, self-funded it and got uh, doctors in Peru and doctors in California mm -hmm. to work together. We had come across this fantastic surgeon, Dr. Soraya, in a small town in Trujillo in Peru, who needed support for a lot of the cleft lip surgery that she was delivering for her patients. And she was, I think, the only surgeon at the time in her in her village that was doing these operations. And so what we did is we asked if we could get other surgeons to dial in and help her. And there was this great doctor, Raj Bias, who said, I'll dial in uh, and work with her uh, virtually. And so for a year they did. And after a year, there was so much evidence that this was valuable and was enhancing skill transfer 
but also accelerating the delivery of care for patients. Fast forward another year, uh, we were asked to support um, a patient in Gaza. Uh, one of the surgeons reached out to us. Um, he'd been aware of, of some of the work that was happening here in terms of the medical aid initiatives and asked if there was a way that we could engage, help him deliver a reconstruction to a bomb blast injury. And so he simply had his tablet attached to the side of the hand table. We dialed in the case. A really good friend of mine, Javed Abdulmanayim, was a, a medical journalist who was out there and was trying to mediate and get us to sort of find a way to help him. And it was incredible to see how in a few hours, two surgeons worked together virtually to reconstruct this young man's hand. And what's interesting about this young man is he was the only breadwinner for his family. And so it was really important that he could have function so he could work so that he could earn a living. And it's really incredible to see that after um, all of this, we found out a couple of years ago that he went on to train to be a nurse and was so moved by the care that he got. So I think it's amazing how, whilst the technology is sophisticated, um, it's more about, it's, it's just the human impact is just incredible. No. I think the beauty about Proximy is the fact that it is universal, it can be used anywhere in the world and it allows this collaborative approach. Um, were there any barriers that you faced with the uptake or receptiveness to it, particularly in the NHS in the UK or other countries? And the reason I'm saying this is I remember when I was doing F1 as a gen surge, um, one of the regs proposed the concept of VR tech to kind of practice suturing to practice surgical procedures and one of the consultants said you know surgical is so hands-on it's so tactile it's there's no way anything like vr can catch on is that something that you've experienced with um, and what do you say to opinions like that i think ultimately um you know to just highlight what our technology is it's got a communication mm. platform layered with other tools augmented reality and artificial intelligence the idea is that we are bringing together the best of human expertise with the most advanced technologies to ultimately deliver best care and save lives. I would say, though, it, you know, it, it's important to recognize that the challenges often with these things are not necessarily the technology. It's the behavior. Mm -hmm. It's culture. Yeah. It's how do you change yeah. the way we have done things for hundreds of years? So absolutely, yeah. there's going to be pushback. And this is disruptive, right? You're really trying to change the yeah, way people do things. But I would always refer back to this book I'd read, which was called um, Crossing the Chasm, which I'd really recommend mm -hmm. that you read. And it talks about how do you look at people, behavior, adoption, and increasing the adoption across different um, behavior types. And, you know, for us, you know, of course, very early on, we had a few, um, you know, great adopters, people who were really interested to come on board very early on. And those are usually the, mm -hmm. the early champions of anything innovative. The second group of people are often those that with a bit of evidence and some value, they can buy into it and they become your best champions because if there's, they've seen evidence, they use it themselves mm -hmm. and they're, they're convinced. And the third group are those that after some time and some convincing um, and, and really a kind of a tidal wave and shift in behavior will eventually also become advocates and users. And for, finally, you'll, there'll be a group that no matter what you do may not change their, <laughs> yeah. you know, behavior and that's okay too and i think we need to recognize yeah. that we do have different stakeholders there are different behaviors and um and we have we have to sort of make sure that we align our messaging the value mm. proposition and ultimately the product market fit within that environment yeah no definitely um 
and kind of reading around Proximity and it's done so many amazing things. Um, tell us how it kind of took another leap during the COVID pandemic, because this during such dire times seems like the perfect solution to such difficulties. How was it with COVID? Um, how did you adapt um, and kind of bring it to the next level? Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely COVID accelerated the need for Proximy and we were so honored to, be able yeah. to make that difference and to help. We saw a nine times growth in engagement and users within that time. Um, every month we were record breaking the month before in terms of the value. But if we crystallize it down to what the value was, we were keeping staff safe by being able to run teams that were part of the teams were inside the OR and part were outside communicating and sharing and bringing kit and information to the operating room. You can imagine during COVID, a lot of kit was being kept outside and only being brought in as and when needed. Being able to have the two teams, but having a team able to see what's happening, communicating with the surgeons on the inside. I think it was about support and morale. During that time, you know, a lot of surgeons were operating in you know quite stressful environment and knowing that there was another consultant or a colleague on the outside there supporting you, talking to you, communicating was really important. And we started to see a lot of two-team operating um, and some virtual support as well. The third thing I would say is training and education. I mean, training basically stopped, uh, particularly in surgery. But what we were able to do is start to stream cases that were happening to many trainees so that they could see and visualize these cases even though they weren't in the operating room. So we had, at any one time, anywhere from 20 to 25 trainees dialed into these cases interacting with the surgeon and using that and amplifying that as a learning experience. And then the final bit is ultimately access to care. There were patients in different parts of the world that needed care and needed it urgently. And being able to bring experts and virtual reps and company med device reps to dial in and support the local teams to deliver that care, which historically would have happened in, by standing together in the operating room, we were able to deliver um, instrumental change. And there's so many stories of you know, a patient in Lebanon that needed a life-saving cardiac procedure. And we had the rep and top surgeon, the top cardiologist in Copenhagen dial in and work through the case with him. And we had a case here that was covered by the Sunday Times you might have read about where um, Dr. Archie Fernando uh, needed to deliver a, um, a really important operation to Mo. It was a removal of the cancer. He had metastatic testicular cancer wrapped around the vessels um, of the abdomen. And by inviting Dr. Jim Porter from Seattle, who's a world expert, they were able to work through this robotically and get the patient home at day three. And traditionally, this would have been done as an open procedure and the patient would have been in hospital, in a COVID hospital for you know weeks. Wow. So it, it was really transformational and we've seen an acceleration in our usage for sure. We, we've, done, we've done around 6,000 procedures this year already. You're now heading Proximy. Tell us about what skills it's sort of requiring for you to sort of practice and implement and what, what's the contrast between the world of tech and sort of developing this sort of software versus your day-to-day -day clinical? I think I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do clinical work alongside this because I think this is where we need to sort of move our thinking. Um, you know, in the NHS, we want to create more clinical innovators. And there's some fantastic work like the NHS Clinical Entrepreneur Program, NHSX, NHS Digital, really trying to showcase the potential. But what I'm really interested in is how do we take that enthusiasm and deliver it to the front line, to the ward, 
the ward nurses, the physios, the porters, the individuals that are at the coalface of the work that we do? And how do we really instill a culture of innovation? And so there's, you know, being able to be an ambassador for that and a champion for that firsthand, but not having left the NHS, but still contributing to the NHS, um, really fills me with a lot of joy because it, it, it marries a lot of the things that, you know, I, I guess set out for myself to do in life. No, it's definitely amazing. And the beauty of it is the fact that you can still practice as a surgeon and still be exposed to various other problems that do arise. And naturally, I imagine you are an entrepreneur, you are a problem solver. Um, and I always had this fear of people that may have left clinical practice, that they become a bit detached from problems that do arise. And if you're in the thick of it, at the forefront of it, um, those are often the best individuals to come up with the solutions. Um, what advice would you give to other individuals, perhaps similar like yourself, through their training, have come up with an innovative idea, they kind of want to take it to market, what are the advice you can give to those individuals that may be struggling or the skill sets they need to make something successful? Sure, I mean, first of all, I would say um, this often needs a lot of grit and perseverance. You know, these, you know, trying to change behavior takes patience, but really, you know, I think what, what we what we have as, as NHS um, members and, and people of the NHS families that, you know, we're generally hardworking. We want to do good things. We want to do right mm -hmm. by our patients. And I would take that energy and that enthusiasm and think about how through more innovative ways we can solve some problems. Definitely the tide mm -hmm. is changing and I would want to encourage everyone to say, you know, the front line is important. Looking at innovation, innovation models from that is really necessary. And and people are open to listening to you and wanting to help. There's definitely accelerators and initiatives all around the country. And if we look at guys in St. Thomas's, you know, they're setting up a, a significant med tech hub that is going to be largely about that grassroots innovation, small companies, mm -hmm. ideas, SMEs, that are gonna help cultivate an ecosystem that encourages innovation, but more than that, makes innovation everyone's business. So I would definitely yeah, yeah. look to those initiatives to reach out I'll be very happy to work through that. And there's, you know, some great stuff happening around the country as well. But I guess what's exciting for me is that this is at the heart of London, at the heart of the South End, mm -hmm. um, 4.8 million patient contacts and uh, 40,000 staff. So it's, it's got the scale and the immensity and the opportunity wow. that is exciting. Definitely. Um, and another topical issue, and I think you're an excellent person to ask, is how have you found your experience with being a plastic surgeon, as well as being a CEO of a rapidly growing company as a female CEO, a female surgeon. We have a lot of listeners that do kind of message us that are young girls that are about to enter foundation training that are worried, is surgery a career for them? Is entrepreneurship suitable for females? What has your experience been um, and what can you impart to those individuals? I mean, I would tell them to absolutely consider surgery. There are so many more women choosing surgery, but still not enough. And I think there's some incredible yeah. female role models in surgery that they should look to across the country. Surgery is exciting. It's about teamwork. It's really being able to tangibly see the difference you make for patients. It's so important and patients need it. And I wouldn't be turned off because um, historically it's been a very male dominated yeah. um, specialty. Mm. I would also say generally working hours and that within the NHS has changed from what perhaps the perceptions and the stereotypes of surgery or any other specialty for that matter were. And in terms of mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, 
again, I think it's really important. If you really have passion for something and believe in something, you will find the time and you will make it work. I've got three children. Yeah. Mm. I work um, a clinical job at the NHS uh, with an innovation hat. Wow. And I have this company. And I think many other people, I'm not a super, I don't have superpowers. I'm just a regular person. But with passion and enthusiasm, you can get there. But also having a really amazing support structure around you. And I think without um, you know, the support of my family, my husband, my children, you know, I, I definitely mm. want to give a nod to that because they definitely played a role in helping me um, and shaping the person I am today. Yeah. I also have a young daughter um, and, you know, a teenage daughter. And I hope that I am also a role model for her, that you can be a CEO mm. of a company. You can take an idea to to scale, to be in 35 countries with an employee base of almost 60 wow. people, um, being used in over 150 hospitals. If I can do it, there's no reason why any of your other listeners uh, or people who reach out can't do it as well. Dr. Nadine, if you can, if you can give us an, some insight into what does a week in your life look like right now? God. Um, <laughs> now we're going to find that you really are. You really are a super. <laughs> um, well, look, I mean, it's uh, it depends what day, if it's a clinical day or a non-clinical day. But generally, mm-hmm. I try and keep my clinical days clinical. Um, it's my time um, that I enjoy with patients. But it's, you know, my days start very early. They start about 6 a.m. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to, we also, we do a lot of work around the APAC region. So it comes sometimes start earlier. And there's mm-hmm. a combination of working and, and empowering the groups that, and stakeholders that work within the NHS to encourage innovation um, to all the mm-hmm. work that we do at Proxy. I mean, I would say in the current climate, I think it's largely Zoom call after Zoom call. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's really important. You know, I try and block out that sort of evening time with the family, spend that time, yeah. you know, between sort of the 6 to 8 p.m. slot, really. Um, have dinner with them talk about their day i have mm-hmm. um my children are sort of 16 and 13 and i have a five-year-old as well so mm-hmm. um try and do some protected family time but i but um trying to find that work-life balance which i don't always get right um but it is yeah long days and my days tend to finish around midnight because we cover mm-hmm. um the u.s market as well no that's amazing um and we're inspired just kind of we clearly you are cu- and full steam ahead covering so many different facets but in your journey up until now kind of getting proximity to be used in over 35 countries across the world what would you say was perhaps one of the most difficult obstacle you had to face um, and how you overcome that I think you know I, I had to make a decision when I told you about that Gaza story CNN covered it and said you know is this the future of surgery and I wasn't yeah. you know I wasn't looking to start up a company or anything like that it was really just something for me um, mm-hmm. And that was a big decision I had to make because I knew if I made that decision, what I was setting myself up for. So, you know, in 2016, really sat down with the family and had to think really long and hard about whether this was something I wanted to pursue. I'm, yeah. I'm very ambitious. I guess people know when I put my mind to something, I'm able <laughs> to succeed. And so I knew that if yeah. I was committing myself to this and the potential scale it could be, that that was, you know, that that would that would take time from other things. And so. Um, that was a choice I made, but I made it um, together with my family and after a long reflection mm. on impact. And when I think about it now, I'm, I'm pleased I made that decision because I think yeah. as clinicians, we make incredible impact every day. Every day, we touch mm-hmm. patients, we speak with them, we help them, we 
will hopefully solve their problems, solve their challenges, and address disease and, and restore their form and function. But being able to do that alongside the global scale and impact, given the, the, the current climate, you know, 5 billion people lack access to safe surgery. 18.6 million wow. people die because of lack of access to surgery. And so I felt that this was a great opportunity to marry those, the, the ambition to make yeah. a lasting legacy, as well as the mm-hmm. working in, a, in you know, a, a group, I'm very, you know, the NHS, which I'm very passionate about. Definitely. And kind of touching on uh, the business side of things, how have you adapted and transitioned? I know it didn't happen overnight for you where you're a surgeon one day and the next day you wake up and all of a sudden you're a CEO of this big growing company. Um, how, were the, how was that transition? How did you adapt? What did you do to kind of educate yourself about the world of business? Because as I'm sure you'd agree, it is very different to the world of medicine. Um, how was that? I think, um, and, I, and we do see actually um, parts of medicine changing. I think you have to be much more agile and adaptive. I think traditionally we're taught, mm-hmm. you know, write a PhD uh, thesis, do a full systematic review before you do anything, go read all the literature mm-hmm. on the, I mean, there's elements of research that is important in making decisions, but there's also an element of just standard A-B testing. I'm going to test it out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, I'm going to move to something else. And taking a bit of more of an agile as opposed to a waterfall approach, and it doesn't have mm-hmm. you know you don't have to have know all the answers up front and have baked out all the if what's and and what then kind of scenarios. It's okay to work yeah. through and try and figure it out step by step and break it down into bite-sized chunks to work through. So I think in my as a mindset, kind of working through that and sort of hacking your way sometimes through solutions um, is okay. Yeah. And then you can always come back and lay the foundation and the more formality around it afterwards. Um, and that's how yeah. we, do, you know, and that's that's how engineering and product um, design um, is done to some extent as well. Definitely, we saw you delivered a TED talk that's been seen by more than a million people. How was that experience? TED is world renowned, world famous, and it's an honor to kind of you know to be invited. How was that? How did that come about? Um, how was that experience for you? I mean, it's probably one of the most stressful things I've ever done. I've operated, I've had three children, I've done many other things, but this was probably one of the most stressful. It was, um, it definitely was out of my comfort zone back then and to stand up in front of a global audience and speak about something that, you know, was still quite new as a, as a mindset, um, you know, was, was, was nerve wracking. But also, I think I was definitely on adrenaline. That I actually don't remember giving, like, I don't remember standing on stage and giving that talk. I think I was just, oh, wow. you know, very adrenaline driven mm-hmm. then. Um, they, it was, it was amazing. They reached out and said we'd, we'd, um, we'd seen this story of this case. We'd seen the CNN article. We're looking at transformational solutions about building bridges. Mm-hmm. The theme was about building bridges. Um, would you want to give a talk and? You know, they really um, support you. They train you for it. Um, there's a lot of prep and hard work that goes behind the scenes. Um, but it was uh, yeah. just an incredible experience, which I'll never, yeah, never ever uh, undervalue. I think it was uh, a big yeah. thing for me, yeah. And it was an incredible talk as well. I listened to the whole thing, so yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, it's always nice to see kind of our colleagues, our seniors kind of on that platform, which has always typically been... Um, individuals from across the sector so when it's someone you know similar to you it's it's always quite nice and refreshing to see um 
this might be a very difficult question and you perhaps don't have one but is there one particular procedure or one particular collaboration that will forever hold um, a soft spot for you or you know a highlight of what Proximity's achieved so far that one collaborative approach I mean I guess um, every every case and every human case and story matters and it moves us I mean at our mm. company we do a weekly mission and vision story and we talk about how Proximity changed um, someone's life but I guess the yeah. one that maybe to date most resonated with me was um, it was a patient she was uh, 55 she'd had recurrent complicated operations due to an, uh, an operation she had at the start that shouldn't have happened she was in and out of hospital for two or three years she had been on intensive care almost died um, and wow. you know, was even mm -hmm. hedge fed for quite a while couldn't even eat normally for, for some time and eventually was left with a pretty awful kind of abdominal hernia and abdominal wall dysfunction she um, was young she wanted to live her life she was in and out with pseudo obstruction and other problems in the hospital as well uh, and eventually just mm -hmm. got very helpless couldn't feel that you know didn't want to live her life like this anymore wasn't what she'd signed up for and um, and came to us and said look you know you keep preaching this concept of collaboration and bringing the best care to any operating room can I want mm -hmm. proxy and I want to bring this doctor to my operating room to help my surgeon who hasn't done perhaps as many of these cases um, as, as the other surgeon and they can work together to, to solve my problem. Mm. So um, we obliged. The clinician oh, wow. dialed in from London, worked with the local doctor and the, the operation was a success and the patient went home, um, was gone back to living a normal life, wearing a swimsuit, playing with her grandkids, all the little things that we take for granted. Uh, and that yeah. patient was my mother. Oh wow. oh, wow. So I think perhaps on a personal level, if I'm the ultimate litmus test is if you're willing to put your own family through it, then uh, you're yeah. more confident in the capability. So I'll probably end with that. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> You've left us a bit speechless. A bit speechless. With that. Um, it, it really is such a beautiful concept. Um, where do you see Proximy and yourself in the in the next five years? If you were to have this um, podcast again in five years, and Dr. Nadine is world famous, she's the Elon Musk, you know, a kind of revolutionized surgery. What would we hope to see in the next five years from Proximy? I mean, you know, our aim is to be in as many operating rooms uh, and cath labs around the world to really digitize the operating room to bring information in and out of the operating room and make that meaningful and to ensure that patients get the best care the first time every time. We're building out a lot more yeah. in terms of our artificial intelligence technology, our cloud-based solutions to connect operating rooms around the world. And that's mm -hmm. really the dream that every surgeon and every operating room has the ability to use the software. That's amazing. Yeah. And in this moment in time, how many people can collaborate on a procedure? Is it you can have surgeons dialing in from America, from Southeast Asia, from the Middle East. Um, how does that part work? Is it limited or is it just a massive collaborative approach where anyone can tune in? Anyone can tune in. We've got thousands of people on the platform. Um, it's, wow. it's open for, the, you know, it's crowdsourcing the world's expertise and clinical teams all around the world. Definitely. And how do you see the future of surgery and tech? I know you're working on one facet and aspect of it, uh, but how do you think tech is going to be 
taken up in the world of medicine, surgery in the next coming few years. Um, the question is, are we all going to get replaced by AI? Are we going to all get replaced by robots? How do you see that unfolding? I think the most important thing is however we design things, it has to be patient-centered. So we need to go back to the drawing board and look at the patient journey and look at how mm -hmm. we can optimize that patient journey. Almost less yeah. interested in what the technology stack is, but how does that yeah. pathway or process innovation, it doesn't even have to be about um, a piece of kit or software. It's how do we redesign the patient journey to optimize it, mm. to scale access, to improve quality, reduce variation, reduce time to treatment. Those are the things that I think, how do we make it more bespoke and precision? And I think those are the things that are going to transform surgery in the future. And we're starting to see it no, now to be fair. No, definitely. And, and I love you're such a beacon for innovation and for the uptake of tech, for the uptake of patient-centered um, innovation. It's refreshing to see. Um, and I can imagine with more time, there will be more clinicians coming up with more innovative um, solutions. This is something I wanted to ask you and it was quite interesting. So in 2018, you were awarded um, the British Empire Medal. How was that, that, that experience? Because it is quite cool um, to kind of get that award. How was that? How did it come about? Honestly, it was a complete surprise. I was, I remember I turned up <laughs> home at midnight. I just finished a shift. Um, I looked at my mailbox and I found this really fancy envelope um, and I was just stunned and incredibly moved uh, incredibly honored, <laughs> yeah. um, and proud really. And, you know, I think it was something that the whole family was really uh, excited about. Very humbled. Yeah. Um, just incredible. No, definitely. And how does that process work? Is it you get invited to the queen and then she gives the medal to you? I've always come to know the, the details behind it. Well, you get invited to go to a ceremony where depending on who the individual mm -hmm. is allocated, will give you that and you get to invite a couple of people um i brought wow. of course my husband and children and my son brought his stuffed animals as well so that was um, <laughs> that's quite nice it's, uh, it's great yeah it was a very special day you they, you get presented you come up for your medal and um, a lot of opportunity for pictures no that's amazing it really is um i'm conscious you are very busy and you have this growing empire uh, and the world needs you more than we do in this moment in time. Um, what advice would you give to other young doctors, clinicians, entrepreneurs, doctorpreneurs, whatever you may call them, um, so they can follow, perhaps follow in your footsteps um, and kind of learn from all your expertise and experience? I think I would say that it's, you know, I don't want anyone to walk away from this podcast thinking it's, it's easy, it's straightforward, it's, you know, it's definitely a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work to change mm -hmm, mindsets, absolutely. but if you truly believe that it's impacting and going to improve patient care or improve something mm -hmm. within our health systems or whatever it is that you're looking at, it may not be health, you may be interested in something else. But if you really truly believe that it is gonna make that difference, don't give up. Every great um, disruption, whether it was process or solution, people will tell you the amount of no's I heard to start with, the amount of people that laughed me out of yeah. the room, I think don't give up if, mm. if you truly believe it's got value. But I would also say, listen, listen to feedback, talk to different people, be open about getting advice. It's, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out to people, mm. network with people and say, Hey, I'm mm -hmm. thinking about doing this. I, you know, I'd love to get your, you know, 10 minutes of your time, 15 minutes of your time and listen, there's an element of being, 
you know, of persevering and being passionate about something. And then there's an element of being sort of arrogant and not listening to feedback. And you have to walk that fine balance, mm -hmm. but make sure that you listen. There's people out there who will want to help um, and who can yeah. give time. So I would, I would say it's that fine balance, but always make sure that you also try and find some downtime. I don't think I've been uh, the, the best one on that one, but it's really important to try and do that. Definitely. And I'm sure this has been quite inspiring, this episode. Um, and I'm sure there will be listeners that perhaps want to reach out to you and may want to pick your brains or a bit of advice. Um, how do they get hold of you um, if you're happy for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, they can just email info at proximy.com and that, they'll, that'll get diverted to me. And I'm happy to have anyone reach out to me anytime. That's amazing. We'll share all the links below. Um, we'll put the website up and there's an, you have an amazing video as soon as you go onto the Proximy video um, website. And I'll recommend all our listeners to have a look at that to get a good understanding of what you are doing with Proximy. Um, it's been a massive pleasure for us to finally meet you, get to know you and a bit about the story. We can only wish you even more success and the best of luck. Um, and I'm sure it can only go from strength to strength. Um, so thank you once again for coming on and taking the time out to speak to us. No, thank you all for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if I can be of any help, let me know anytime. Okay. No, we will do. Well, thank, you, thank you. And so thank much. you to our Bye. listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye.